Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. determine who is truly a world-class singer. Well, you can look at the accolades, four Grammy nominations, five gold and platinum albums. Jeffrey Osborne, I know you know that name because, quite frankly, there's a song, On the Wings of Love. As soon as you hear it, you think Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey, want to ask you, what's it like to have a song like that? I mean, is that like really a career height of all heights where people hear that one song and know it's you? Oh, yeah, it's definitely... uh that, that was a career song for me, especially coming from the group LTD. That was on my first album as a solo artist. You know, when you leave something, a group that's successful and you're kind of venturing off into the unknown, you kind of never know what to expect. To have my first solo album, to have a song like On the Wings of Love, uh, was major for me. Uh, it actually kind of, for well, people knew my voice, but they didn't know my name. And it kind of marriages the two together. You know, people yeah. finally knew the, the name behind the voice. And <laughs> so it was a major career song for me. And, uh, you know, they don't come along that often, those kind of songs. It makes so much sense because you were born to do this, right? I mean, like your dad was played with some of the all-time greats of jazz. Yeah, I came from a very musical family. I'm the youngest of 12 in my family. I had five brothers and six sisters, and just about everybody sang or played an instrument. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of born for this. I I started playing in nightclubs when I was 13, so I got a chance to at 15. You know, I mean, I was playing four nights, four shows a night, seven nights a week. So I was kind of groomed for it. I don't think today's singers get that kind of grooming because there's no clubs for them to to develop in. I mean, it's all DJs now spinning records, but back then. It was live entertainment in all the clubs, and you got to play in front of people, and you got to do the grind. I mean, it was a grind. And so I think that's the difference between some of the singers in my era and the era before that and today's singers. They just seem to come out of the gate with no experience. They've been discovered in somebody's uh, home studio, and they're thrown out in front of people and don't really know what to do. And then they got so many gimmicks today. I mean, anybody can be a singer today. All you need is auto-tune. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. And you managed, when you were with your dad, you got to see people like Sarah Vaughn. I mean, how important is that to see one of the truly greats and see how they take the, the craft so seriously and how it's not just about singing, it's about projecting, it's about making an identification right. with your audience and all that? Oh, it, it's priceless. You know, I got. I grew up in an incredible era. I got to play, I got to open for Jackie Wilson when I was... 15 years old in Providence, Rhode Island. So I got to talk to singers like like Jackie, who were great singers, and to meet 
the Sarah Vaughns and to meet people that, you know, I felt were just legends in their own right. You know, to sit and talk with the Miles Davis, uh, you know, you don't get that experience today. And, and they were always so open and shared so much. And again, today you see people that are very kind of guarded. They don't want to, they don't want to pass it along. They kind of want to hold on to it. And it's just a beautiful era to come up in. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to be on stage. I mean, I grew up, you know, my family was always into jazz. My dad was into Clifford Brown and Miles Davis and all these great trumpet players. And, you know, my sisters were into Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughn and Billie Holiday. And so I got a well-rounded musical education growing up. And then I, I was into the Motown era, you know. I had to wait to listen to my music after they all listened to what they wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I'm 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 wanting to be a temptation. I'm out on the corners with my little singing group singing to and then later on in life to be doing shows with the Temptations and shows with the OJs and shows with Aretha and shows with Gladys. It's amazing. It's like I really I lived my dream and I got a chance to meet all these people and talk to these people and share different ideas and developing developmental skills and i was it was amazing it's amazing i'm i'm fortunate to have come up in the time period that i came up in no question but you must have had a lot of confidence i mean age 15 the, the oj's drummer is too tired to play they put you on there <laughs> two weeks that's incredible and, and when you're playing the drums jeffrey where you're like i can't believe i'm up here doing this with these guys <laughs> Well, that, that was all the inspiration and, and motivation I needed to know that I could do it. I could do this. And before then, I had my local group, and I was playing in all those clubs that these guys were coming into, like the OJ. So being that I played in the club to come over and let me meet these guys, and I got a chance to talk to them. And they let me come up and audition, and, and I got the job. And it kind of let me know that I could do this. You know, they were a very big group at the time. They had albums out and. uh you know, it kind of lets you know, well, uh, if you can work with these guys at, at a, for a two-week run there, that I should be able to do this. This is what I want to do. I knew then that this is what I want to do and yeah. that I had the capability of doing it on that level. Wow, what a gift to be able to do what you were meant to do right from the start. And then you go into Love Man Limited, and I guess that had to be a thing where having done that, you know, not only did you know you were good enough, but you kind of see the way – some of the best people behave on stage. And this goes back even to when you were a kid watching this stuff. So it just right. was natural, right? It was very natural, yeah. And, and and Love Men Limited, at the time they were called Love Men Limited, they were the backup group for Sam and Dave. Mm. And a lot of people don't know that. So they, they had just come off the road working with Sam and Dave for a couple of years and decided to start their own thing. And they were just working their way up the... East Coast. Most of them were based in uh, North Carolina. And I ended up running into them in Providence at a nightclub because I, you know, being in Providence, there weren't a lot of black musicians that yeah. I could play with there. So when <laughs> someone tell me there's a group of 10, there's a 10 piece group of all black musicians playing in a club, I'm like, oh, I got to go see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and it, and it paid oh. off. I mean, you guys had a lot of hits. People might not remember how many hits you had. We had, we had a lot of hits, yeah. It was a very good group and it was a very good group a good live group i mean we were we were like you know we we got kicked off of some tours because we put so much heat on people i mean we toured with the commodores a lot that was a major tour back in the day ltd commodores but we did the jackson's tour in 79 when michael jackson 
finally had his first off the wall album, first solo album. We toured with them, and they kicked us off the tour when we came to L.A. because we were putting too much pressure on them. Yeah, too much excitement uh, for the opening yeah, act. Yeah, it was too much. Yeah, so they kicked us off, and they put the emotions on. And the emotions were good, but, you know, they, were, they, they didn't have that fire in front of them, so they felt more comfortable in, in L.A. So, yeah, we, we were a good live group, a lot of great musicians. I learned so much with LTD because I got a chance to write with so many different players, you know, horn players. I would sit down and write with the trumpet player. I would sit down and write with the keyboard player, with the guitar player. I, I really got rounded as, as a songwriter, and I wrote quite a few songs with LTD. Yeah, and I think just that whole thing of looking at each part of the group makes so much sense. You know, how can I bring all these things together? Because it's kind of a collaboration of sounds, right? It's not just you sit down yeah, and write words. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was the beauty of it. It was a, a, a big group. You know, I had a full horn section. And so you kind of learned uh, how to build a song from the ground up. You learn about orchestration. You know, you sit with horn guys. You see how they... Uh, how they would arrange something. You see how this keyboard player would arrange things. So you start learning orchestration, and it really uh, it just gives you such a solid base as you go further, you know. Well, you were obviously ready to go solo. I mean, look at that song. But it had to take a lot of guts. Was there a little bit of, yeah, you're a confident guy, so I doubt there was fear, but there's always that wondering, <laughs> is that going to make a difference, you know? I'm out there by myself. Well, yeah. It, it was a it was a big challenge for me uh, because you know you don't know you know you're venturing off into the unknown and there weren't a lot of people that were successful coming out of the groups I mean there were of course Lionel was successful but he left after I did I left yeah. LTD before he left the Commodores and then Michael had basically left the uh, the Jacksons mm-hmm. but there weren't a lot of people that left groups that were successful so it was definitely a a challenge and nobody knew my name. Everybody knew my voice, but they didn't know my, I was. It was never Jeffrey Osborne and LTD. It was just LTD. People knew yeah. Michael Jackson and Lionel was like the guy with Commodore. You know, the challenge was to associate the name with the voice. So that's why my first album was simply called Jeffrey Osborne. Because radio would have to say, well, this is On the Wings of Love by Jeffrey Osborne from the album Jeffrey Osborne. So they'd keep having to bang the name. Yeah. So... <laughs> So it was just associating the name with the voice. It was amazing, though, how many people did know my voice. I got lucky with the fact that I got to work with George Duke as my first producer uh, as, as a solo artist. And that was a godsend. That was like just being with probably the most well-rounded person that there is musically. I mean, he was a musical genius. So I, I was blessed to have been put in the hands of George Duke for my first record. Yeah, and that's so important. Because if the first record doesn't go, then there's always that question, well, he was a great lead singer for a group, but he's out on his own. This album, (laughs) because albums mattered back then. Not not as much now, but they mattered. (laughs) Albums were huge back then. I mean, they would play four and five songs off your album on the radio. They went deep on albums. Uh, they, They don't do that today. It was huge for me because all I had to do was come in and sing. I felt so... Music. I mean, musically, I knew it was going to be musically sound. The, the whole album would be just pristine musically. I knew that being with George Duke. So all I had to do was come in and sing. Now, I've never met a, a producer before that could actually give me constructive criticism. But most people would just go, you go in and sing, and they were kind of intimidated and never told me anything. Well, it's great, man. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> George would say, well, why don't you try this right here? 
And I would try it. I was like, oh, man, that works. Yeah. I mean, he opened my eyes to things that I hadn't been, uh, had, had kind of not been exposed to before. And so I learned a lot from George. It was just incredible. And, and I mean, when he passed, it was a big loss for me. Well, I still dedicate every show that I do to George Duke. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And a guy like you, just talking to you, you want to get better. You know, you're not a prima donna that everybody has to, you know, play their music while they're talking to them or anything like that. You want to get better. Well, there are people out there that do that. <laughs> I know. I, I can't even listen to myself. I, I just started being able to appreciate my early albums because I would always listen to them and say, oh, I should have did this. I should have did that. I could never really just appreciate it. Now I, I'm at the age where now I can sit back and I can appreciate, especially when George passed, because I was able to sit back and appreciate his production, his the way he orchestrated things. I could, I could really appreciate the songs now. I'm like, wow, this guy was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were talking before, too, about kind of your frustration of modern music in the sense that there isn't all this training and people aren't getting better and they're just thrown out there and so forth. And I think the whole album concept is really missed because an album like your first album, it got all parts. It isn't just the one single, which everybody knows. Right. Yeah. But they can really appreciate what you can do. And, and I got to think it, it's unfortunate that we don't have the emphasis on it the way we used to. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy now because, you know, you I mean, well, back then there were 45s. That, yeah. that was even that was even precious because you had an A and a B side. So I could take a song that I didn't think would ever do anything and put it on the B side of a 45. As far as publishing and songwriting went, you got the same amount as the A side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. It was, so it, we called it taking a ride. So you just put a song, you take a ride on the B side. They don't have that anymore. Now you got to digitally download whatever you want. But back then, they would flip a, a 45 over and the B-side would be coming in. <laughs> well, that's why I think people are going to love your show because they don't realize it. If they just know you from the one song and they love it, yeah, they're going to hear it. It's great. But you can do all sorts of different types of music, and I think they're going to really appreciate the, you know, if they don't know you that well, how really you, you can do all sorts of things. Yeah, the show is the, that I've been doing lately is a little bit of everything. You know, I, I do... I do a lot of LTD now uh, in the show. You know, I mix it up and I have fun and I do things that aren't even mine. I'll do a taste of this and a taste of that. But, uh, yeah, the show is, is pretty diverse now. We, ha we have a lot of fun with it. So uh, I look forward to doing the shows. Yeah, well, and it's a good mix of not just R&B, but jazz. You got funk in there. And I think that's really cool because we're kind of missing that. All the all the, the music nowadays, it's just it's hard to find something that can really take you across a, a, a real mix of great music. Well, I, I don't think music today, the music takes you on a journey today. I listened to the songs even before my era, the 50s. The songs had such beautiful verses and then a beautiful bridge and then a hook. And then, you know, it was just, it took you somewhere. These songs today, they don't even have a bridge. Yeah. They all sit on one chord and, you know, they do the verse off the chord. They sing a different chorus on the same chord. It, you know, it's funny because in doing a new record, like the last record I just did, I had somebody had to remix them for radio 
because oh. mine was too musical. <laughs> and what they do is they take it and they dumb your music down, and they tell me that people today can't listen to more than three chords. Wow. So, and I understand it when I listen to today's music. It's also basically like one, two, three chords, and that's as far. And I think that we've lost respect for the listener. Uh, they scheme that they seem to think, well, these people, you know, everything is quick microwave today. You know, you yeah. know, you got to hold their attention, boom, and you don't can't wander too much, and this and that. But I think we we've lost respect for the listener. I think there are people that still want to hear good music it's just kind of sad to me where it has where music has gone it's kind of taken a backward seat to what it used to be and the scary thing about it is it's it's selling more than what the music we did back in the day <laughs> well it's sad because it's sort of an insult to the listener like you say and also artists like yourself i mean this is what you do and you're kind of limited and that's unfortunate you can't you can't take chances the way you even think of back of what the beatles used to do in albums you know now you can't right. do that anymore no no they it's too much for them to listen to uh, for some reason they don't want to you know they want everything to just sit on that one chord, and they're, and they're happy. Well, yeah. thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, too. Thank you. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast, with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network.